Welcome to Eco Living, a podcast about ways to reduce your impact on the earth, from cutting your greenhouse gas emissions to minimizing land and water use. I'm Adam Weiss. Eco Living is a co-production of Narara Eco Village and the Narara Eco Living Network, and is based at our demonstration eco village outside of Sydney, Australia. Today, I'm talking to Chris Wenban. Chris lives full-time here in the eco-village in a tiny house that she designed, and is here to tell us about what that's like and to help people who are thinking about tiny house living to get started on their journey. Welcome, Chris. Good morning. Now, normally, I'd want to talk to you about this in your house, but we're recording this in lockdown, so we have the little bit of awkwardness of recording remotely, even though we're a few minutes walk apart. The listeners aren't there either. Can you just describe your house for us? What does tiny house mean in your case? So my tiny house is a tiny house on wheels. So that means it sits on a triaxle trailer. The trailer base is 7.2 meters long by 2.5 meters wide. And the house is, it's a timber framed house. The sides are made of um, corrugate, gray corrugate and pine cladding, which is painted white. So it's a kind of quite cutesy patootsy little looking cottagey type house that's 4.3 meters high as well. So how much living space do you have inside? I've got about 26 square meters in all and that includes the loft bedroom and I have a little storage loft as well. So the, the kind of total floor space upper level and lower level is 26 square meters. In wealthier countries in the world, there are people who have houses with rooms that size. Oh, yes. Um, I, I go into a lot of people's houses now and look at their kitchens and work out that their kitchen's bigger than uh, my house. Okay. So how did you end up in the tiny house? Where did you live before and what made you want to live in one? So I've always lived in normal houses. Um, I come from the UK originally and I lived in a normal size house there. I moved to Australia and in fact, that was the first time I'd ever lived in apartments or flats, really, as opposed to houses. I first saw tiny houses, as most people do, uh, on the internet, on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, those kinds of things, and thought that they always looked really cool and um, were very cute. It was the, the look and feel. I have never minded living in smaller spaces. I was a second child, so I always had the small bedroom. Um, as a student, I actually when it came to choosing bedrooms in our student house, I chose the smallest one just because it had the view out over the front door so I could see who was coming and going. So I, I really don't mind small spaces. I'm not particularly big myself. So I don't see having larger space being particularly something that I, I yearn for. Now, one thing that I've always thought and people have always said to me is, what do I do with all my stuff? Did you have to figure out how to get rid of a lot of things or have you managed to fit everything in design-wise? I actually went through a bit of a process. I was living in a three-bedroom apartment in Sydney and um, I actually ended up having a, a roommate moving in. So I sort of started by moving all the things out of the spare room so my roommate can move in. So that was step one. Um, and then I ended up having to spend some time back in uh, Europe with family. So I rented my apartment out. So I downsized again to store everything. Uh, so it wasn't one particular thing that, that made me downsize, but a, a couple of things over probably two years where I downsized my belongings anyway. 
and then moving into the tiny house sort of full time. I I still have some <laughs> some bits and pieces. I have a desk somewhere in a in a friend's garage and a couple of bits and pieces are, around the place. But in terms of clothes and um, kitchen stuff and you know my my day to day personal belongings, they all fit in the tiny house. And um, I actually probably have a bit too much stuff. But there was a bit of a process of I mean just you know files and folders with paperwork and all those kinds of things which when you have the space you're not forced into sorting them out but as soon as you know you're not going to have the space it just makes you do it and it's amazing how much stuff you actually don't need but you just leave lying around because you have somewhere to put it and tiny houses are designed to be really efficient i know you were involved in designing your house and i was fortunate enough to live in a tiny house for one month not for years as you have Storage is amazing. The efficiency of the kitchen, the placement of fold-out beds and all sorts of things can be really, really flexible. How do you fit what you do have into the house without making it feel too full? It is just using every space you have available. So my lounge area, underneath that, I have pull-out drawers, which I put you know, my linens in. I have a little set of stairs that goes up to the, uh, to the loft area, and that all has storage in it. Um, one thing I, I mean, IKEA is just amazing. I certainly have found with the kitchen pull-out drawers rather than having, um, you know, normal doors on a cupboard, makes the the space much more accessible. And you really notice that then it's not a case of there's more space; it's just easier to use the space that you have. And you not only live in the tiny house, but you work from home often, so you're working and living in the same space that is very small. Yes, yes. So I have a flip up at the at the end of my kitchen bench. So my kitchen bench is about two, two and a half meters long on one side of the house. And I have a wooden flip up with a little sort of a rectangular metal structure that slides into a groove so that it creates a leg for the, the um, flip up. And that becomes my desk. So I have a, um, like a bar stool. It's quite high but I, I have a bar stool that I can sit on and then get my legs underneath that. So so I use that. And then, of course, when I decide that, you know, at the weekends, I, I don't want that space, I just flip that down, move my computer away and tuck it away or put it in a drawer. And uh, yeah, and then sort of reclaim that space back for using it for a different purpose. So how has it been living in there, working in there and over a lockdown, not really being allowed to go into other people's spaces that often. Has the tiny house held up to what you imagined with having to really be in it a lot more the last year or so? Yes. I mean, when when I started looking at tiny houses, I never imagined that I would be forced into doing isolation in one. <laughs> um, but it's not about the house. And I think that's the biggest thing you realize when you start going down the tiny house path. Everybody thinks that, oh, it's all about the house. And once you've got one, it actually slightly becomes secondary. So I'm very lucky because where I am, um, I have a lot of space. So I'm on a plot of land that's just over 600 meters square. It does have another house on it, but my tiny house is situated so that I have my own front garden. So in terms of space, I I can come and go and um, from that as much as I like. I actually think I'm probably better off than somebody living in a much bigger apartment in you know, 
Sydney or at any city during lockdown because I can get outside, I can do some gardening, I can potter around in a way that perhaps a lot of people can't. So being in the tiny house during you know lockdowns and isolation has actually been probably better than a lot of other situations. Yeah, I went through lockdown in an inner city Melbourne apartment and know what that isolation and limitation of access to the outdoors is like. So the outdoor space that you have around your house, I can see how that would be a big advantage. Talking about the space, you said that there's another house on the land that you are on. Your house is technically allowed to be there because it's by law a caravan, right? Can you talk about how it works to put a tiny house somewhere to live in? Yes, and and look, I've I've actually looked at this in conjunction with you know lots of other different countries as well, and that the U.S. certainly probably was the the start of a lot of uh, the the tiny house on wheels um, kind of movement, as 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 people know it through TV and Instagram. But um, particularly in Australia, there are different rules depending in the different states you live in. Um, I'm very lucky to live in New South Wales because it's probably the most advantageous for living permanently in a tiny house. So the regulation at the moment, and there are different regulations associated with tiny houses. So you need to think about um, the road rules because technically they can be put on the roads. You need to think about the um, construction rules associated with living in a, a structure. And you need to think about the planning rules in terms of being able to live permanently in um, a tiny house. And in New South Wales, uh, tiny houses come under, as you say, the caravan rules. They're, they're classed as a caravan, and that's because they, they sit on the trailer, which is on wheels, and then they can be moved. Because in New South Wales, if you have a piece of land that has another house on, you can live permanently in a tiny house if you are the landowner or a member of the landowner's household, essentially. So I happen to own the piece of land I'm on, but 50%. The lady who lives in their house next to me, she owns the other 50% in the house. So under current New South Wales regulation, I can live in my tiny house permanently. If I didn't own the land, technically, um, I would only be able to stay for you know two or three nights at a time or a maximum, I think it is of 60 nights a year because that's the regulation at the moment in in New South Wales. So there are a couple of factors. It's about owning the land and having another house on that piece of land as well that allows me to live here permanently. So can you talk about the logistics of having your house where it is? How do your utilities work? You know, your water, electricity, sewage, gas, whatever it is that you use, is that all hooked into your house permanently or is your house something that's a bit more off-grid? I'm not actually off grid, although the house was designed so I could be if I wanted to because it was mobile and I didn't actually have it built here. I didn't know where it would end up permanently. Uh, So off grid means that you would be able to power it without, um, you know, attaching to mains, electricity, etc. So I have um, a gas oven and gas hot water heating and a gas heater as well, which are powered just off bottled gas. So essentially the same thing that you would use for a barbecue, I have uh, sitting outside my house and I attach that in. And then for electricity, I designed it so that the only electrics would be the lights and charging a laptop or a phone. Um, So if I had wanted to be off-grid, I could have had a small solar array. Uh, Where I am here in the village, I do actually um, connect into our own microgrid uh, which happens to be solar powered uh, within the village 
Um, so it's essentially just one cable. It's a 15 amp cable that comes out of my house and gets uh, plugged into uh, a socket that I have uh, my own meter. So I pay obviously pay my own electricity. So that's electricity and gas. Water, I just have um, a hose. It's a food grade one, so that uh, that's fine for drinking water, etc. And then for the outflow of water, I actually uh, have a, created a system uh, using a horse trough, in fact, that is a grey water system that filters that grey water. So anything from my shower and my sink, so sink in the bathroom and the sink in the kitchen, goes through a pipe out into a big horse trough that has, um, you know, dirt and worms and uh, uh, sand and gravel that filters the water going out. That then is actually channeled through a pipe into my vegetable gardens as well. So there's there's the, the water that leaves this house is filtered and then diverted into feeding all of my vegetables. And the final thing, which everybody always asks about, is the toilet and sewerage. And uh, in my house, I chose to have uh, a composting toilet. So that means I'm not connected to any kind of sewerage. And also, I don't use a lot of as much water as normal houses because I don't have a flushing toilet. It's it's just a composting toilet. And that I empty out. I have um, uh, a system that I use to... Uh, pass all the, the liquids through underneath a couple of citrus trees that are out in the garden so um that that gets put to good use citrus likes the uh, the liquids that are coming out of my um toilet and the solids are put into a composting bin by themselves um and you can actually compost human waste uh, if you leave it in the compost bin for um, at least a year then that uh, kills all of the the any potential bad nasty microbes and you can put it on your garden um i won't be putting it on the vegetable patch but uh probably the lavender and the artichokes that aren't root vegetables will uh, be getting that once that it's been sat in the compost bin probably for a couple of years that that sounds like a pretty good plan especially when you have guests over exactly (laughs) (laughs) so um it sounds like when someone's thinking about a tiny house, they could do everything from off-grid to fully connected with flush toilets and everything. What kind of considerations would you recommend people think about when they're thinking about a tiny house if they're planning to live in one? Number one, make sure that you're comfortable with living in smaller spaces. So my first recommendation would be go and stay in a tiny house and not just overnight. Try and stay you know, for for a week, try and have a decent holiday in a tiny house and do all the things that you would normally do in a house. So make sure that you cook properly and do what you would do when you're having downtime, be it reading a book or listening to music or, or something. So do all the normal things you would want to do in a house just to see if it, it does kind of suit your normal day-to-day lifestyle. Um, then when uh, you've sort of done that, have a really good think about um, how you live your daily life uh, in terms of designing a house. So I have certain things that I like to do and, um, you know, I wanted a comfortable place to sit. Um, I, I even designed it down to the idea that I'm right-handed. So when I'm sitting on my sofa, I have a little ledge to the right of my sofa which is actually has a window and sort of looks now I'm looking out over the eco village, but that's where I put my cup of tea or my glass of wine when I'm sitting there on my sofa. And I, I designed pretty much the way that, that the house is the way around the, the house is because I'm right-handed and I knew I'd be 
reaching out with my hand to put it on the ledge because you can customize tiny houses really think you know what you like to do I have a very big kitchen for a tiny house it pretty much takes up at least half of my house but I've done it so that I can convert it into a workspace as well because you know I I knew that I would uh, potentially be doing some work in my house so I like to cook um I, I wanted to have that used as space you know some people liked might want to do gaming some people might want to do exercise you there think about what you want to do and design to how you want to live your life so it sounds like you would be suggesting that if someone is planning on living in a tiny house that it would be something that they're heavily involved in designing not just buying one yes yeah i mean you can you can buy them and a, a lot of the ones that companies make that are just bought pretty much off the shelf we're probably going for sort of Airbnbs where you're not so concerned. But when when you choose to spend this much time in such a small space, you have to make it work for you on a day-to-day basis. And you know, every single inch is important. A lot of the the furniture is built in as well. So I made decisions up front because that is the most efficient use of space when you actually build in that furniture rather than putting in a sofa into a tiny house. So, yes, it's it's a lot of decision making about how you like to go about your day. Well, it sounds like you've put a lot of thought into the tiny house and you've you've lived in it for what, two or three years now. Um, how does actually living in your tiny house compared to what you thought it would be like before you moved in? I think it's in some ways it's it's a lot easier. I I thought that the space would be more of an issue and having lived here, I rarely think about the amount of space. I, there are a couple of things which are probably different to when I've lived in a normal house. It is harder to to have people over and to socialize, I expect. So if you're used to having people in your house and coming around for dinner and things like that, again, I would probably design for that. I haven't really made the best use of my outside space. So I don't have decking on my tiny house at the moment. And I probably will in the future. And that will definitely make a big difference to you know, whether I can have people over and entertain because it is a little bit more difficult. I, I've, I've had five people for lunch before, but um, it is a little bit more difficult. You have to plan. I think that's the main thing with living in a tiny house. There's a bit more maintenance and a bit more planning that you have to do and if you're comfortable with that then then that's fine it's it's actually been probably easier than I would have imagined and that's usually not because of the house that's certainly living in the eco village in the tiny house means that there are certain things that I don't have to have myself that I can borrow from neighbors and therefore when you can do that space actually becomes less of an issue because you don't need everything yourself. Well, and that is really the advantage of living in an eco-friendly community. Being in the smallest permanently occupied dwelling in the village, certainly you're able to take full advantage of that. So thank you very much for telling us what that's like. Thank you for giving us some advice for people who may be wanting to look at tiny house living. And just thanks for being one of our neighbors. No problem, Adam. And thanks to all of you for listening. For more information about tiny house living, or to see some photos of Chris's tiny house, visit ecolivingpodcast.com. And if you want to learn more about eco-village living, visit nararaecovillage.com. That's N-A-R-A-R-A ecovillage.com. And finally, if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to our feed to get all of our episodes for free. 
and feel free to send it along to anyone who you think might enjoy it or learn something from it. Hopefully both. We have all the links you need to subscribe to or share the show on the website. Until next time, I'm Adam Weiss.